I'm really excited to preach this topic this morning. I've never, uh, never preached on it before. I've preached on the resurrection, but I haven't preached on the resurrection of the dead. And uh, so I'm looking forward to this. And I must say, the more I've uh, looked at it, um, it's become uh, such an important uh, truth in my life. And I'm really hoping that God is going to uh, minister to you this morning, that you're going to get excited about this. And it's going to cause you to press in on the Lord and really uh, get, get your relationship stronger with Him and have a real solid hope for your future. So let's just pray before we begin. Father, we come to you this morning uh, thanking you that you're already in our midst, thanking you that you're already working and you're already touching lives. But Lord, as we sit under your word this morning, we ask that you would give revelation by your Holy Spirit. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, come and speak to us, come and open up our eyes so that we can understand the scriptures, so that we can uh, know the truth that you've given to us. Uh, in this topic, uh, we know that this is one of the foundational teachings, so it's an elementary teaching, and yet we hear so little of it uh, that it almost seems like it's uh, an advanced teaching. But Lord, I pray that today it would be simple it would be easy to understand. It would be something that we all grasp and something that you speak personally into our lives. So we welcome you, Lord. Come and speak this morning. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. All righty. So resurrection of the dead. So we're dealing with the second last uh, foundation that we find in Hebrews chapter 6. Anybody, uh, can you repeat what those foundations are? Found in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Number one, repentance from dead works. Number two, faith in God. Number three, baptisms, plural. Number four, laying on of hands. Number five, the resurrection of the dead, which is what we're covering today. And number six, eternal judgment, which we'll cover next week. But this is a very big topic. And I don't really want to leave a lot out. I'd rather cover most, as much as I can. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do part one today. Oh, it needs to be a bit closer to mine. Is that better? I need a curved or straight face, do I? Or a curved mic. I think it's my ears. Is that better? Oh, not really. <laughs> He's like, yeah, kind of. But uh, because it's such a big topic, uh, I'm going to do part one this morning and part two this evening. So I believe a lot of you were emailed uh, just to let you know that um, we're going to do two parts. It will be recorded, so there'll be, a, there'll be both messages on, on the recording. And the other thing is that because there's such a lot to cover, uh, uh, it might be worth your while to just listen to write down the references rather than turn there. We're going to try and get the scriptures up on the, on the projector, but uh, I have to move through this quite quickly. So let me just let's start by reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 to 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. It says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So I want you to notice right from the beginning, 
that that scripture says we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. It's very important that we understand this truth. We are a triune being. We created in the image of God who is triune, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are spirit, soul, and body. That's what the scripture says. Three distinct parts to us. The word resurrection means to stand up out of. So in, our, in this topic here, it means to stand up out of the grave. So it sounds a bit freaky, but that's what it means. Stand up out of the grave. And it's important to understand that it's the body that's going to be resurrected. Okay? Our spirit and soul are not going to need resurrection because they don't pass into death. Your body will. Your body one day is going to go into the grave and it's going to start decomposing and it's your body. That res- that's that resurrection. That's what we're talking about today. Okay? And I've found that many, many people are really interested in what's going to happen to them when they die. But at the same time, many people have no idea of what Scripture says about what's going to happen to, to them when they die. And so a lot of people are just simply hoping for a good outcome. They're hoping things are going to turn out all right. And yet the Scripture actually has a lot to say about what's going to happen. And so there's no need for us to live with this kind of, I just hope things are going to be okay, because the Scripture tells us a lot about what's going to happen. Alrighty, so five, let me just start off with five characteristics of life after death. And Jesus gives us a picture of, of what happens after death in Luke chapter 16 from verse 22 to 26. And let me just point out before we read this is that Jesus, I don't believe Jesus is teaching a parable here. Let me show you what I mean. I'm just going to read quickly some verses, a couple of chapters before. Luke 14, verse 16 says, Jesus replied with this story, the parable of the great feast. Luke 15, 3, Jesus told them this story, the parable of the lost sheep. Luke 15, 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story, the parable of the lost son. The parable of the shrewd managers in Luke 16, verse 1, Jesus told this story to his disciples. But now we get to verse 19, sorry, Mark, verse 19, and uh, it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And what does verse 19 say? Jesus said. Not Jesus told a story, Jesus said. Okay? So I don't believe this is a parable. You might disagree with me, but I believe This is what actually happened, okay? Jesus said, verse 22 to 26. Oh, sorry, verse 19 we'll read. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried to the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. That's verse 23. Just click on ver- yeah, uh, the next word, verse 24. Oh, sorry. Have I, have I gone past it? Anyway. 
sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. And in the Greek it says to Abraham's bosom. So some translations will say Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead. In the Greek it's the word Hades. Okay, There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. The rich man then said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, Then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And how true was that? Even though Jesus rose from the dead, everyone who doesn't believe Moses and the prophets, which is the the Old Testament scriptures, won't be saved. God's basically saying, You have my word. That's enough. If you don't believe my word, you won't be saved. Jesus has already risen from the dead. Everything you need to know about salvation is in here. That's enough. You don't need someone to come back from the dead and tell them. We've got the word of God. That's what Jesus is saying. And so these, this passage of scripture shows us five characteristics of life after death which actually contradict a lot of teaching that's out there. Number one is there was persistence of personality after death. Lazarus was still Lazarus. The rich man was still rich man. Abraham was still Abraham. They were the same. And when you look at the rich man, his attitude hasn't even changed. He's like, that Abraham, oh, Abraham, you're the big cheese over there. Tell that beggar to come and bring me water. No, he can't. Okay, well then tell him to go back and tell my brothers. He's, he still sees himself as being superior to that poor man Lazarus. His attitude hasn't even changed. His personality is the same after death that it was before. He's just as unrighteous as he was. Secondly, there was a recognition of persons. They recognized each other after death. The rich man recognized Abraham. He recognized Lazarus. There was a recognition of persons after death. We won't all look identical. Okay? In fact, I personally believe that in some way or other, our nationality will be preserved. Because in Revelation, you read about John seeing a multitude worshiping God from where? Every nation, tribe, and tongue. Who told him that? No one. He looked and he saw. 
nations. He looked and he heard different tongues. God is the God of creativity. I mean, when, when God created grass, he didn't just create 10 different types of grass. Scientists believe there are over 10,000 types of grass. I mean, imagine that. So how boring would it be if everyone in heaven all looked the same, were all kind of like generic, and we all spoke the same way? Boring. God's not like that. Then I believe the nations are going to be in heaven. That means racists are going to have a problem because ethnic groups will be in heaven. I honestly believe that. I do. (laughs) Anyway, there's a recognition of persons. There's also a recollection of life on earth. Abraham reminded the rich man of what happened during his life on earth. And he didn't go, oh, I'd forgotten about that. Are you sure? He knew what had happened. See, the Bible teaches that God will wipe away every tear. It doesn't teach that he will wipe our memories. Okay? There was also, number four, a consciousness of their present condition. So even though they may not have had their bodies with them, the rich man was in torment and Lazarus was being comforted. They were conscious of their present condition. The rich man said, I'm in anguish in these flames. I'm being tormented. And Lazarus was being comforted. They had feeling and emotion. Then the last thing, the fifth thing, is there was a complete separation between the unrighteous and the righteous and no way to cross between the two after death. There's no, all right, you've been here for a while, now you've paid your time, now you can move over. It's a complete separation. The righteous in a place called Abraham's bosom and the unrighteous on the other side. Okay? And I believe Jesus here is teaching about life after death. And in particular, people who died before Jesus made his sacrifice on the cross. Because Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection bisected history and massive changes took place after that. I believe that before Jesus, all departing souls went to Hades, okay? Where there's these two parts. There's Abraham's bosom where they're comforted, and then there's the torment side. But it's a Jewish belief to today that all departing souls go to Hades, okay? In Hebrew, it's called Sheol. You might read that in the Old Testament. The Greek word is Hades, okay? Same place. Okay, so now let's have a look at what happened to Jesus when he died. Something very interesting happened to Jesus. Jesus' spirit, soul, and body went to three different places when he died, and I'll show you. His spirit, Luke 23, verse 46. Luke 23, verse 46. Jesus is on the cross, and it says, Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Some of the other versions say he commended his spirit to the Father. Okay? His soul, Acts 2, verse 25 to 27. Acts chapter 2, verse 25 to 27.
King David, this is Peter preaching, and he's saying, King David prophesied this about Jesus. He said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No, man, no wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or in Hades. Okay? You will not leave my soul in Hades or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Now you can't leave something or I can't leave a place I haven't been to. I can't say you will not leave me at the plaza if I never go to the plaza. Amen? I can't say you'll not leave me in Hades if I don't ever go there or if I'm not currently there, okay? You can only leave somewhere you've been, okay? <laughs> Just logical sense. And we, so, so I believe this is showing that the soul of Jesus went down into Hades, okay? The place of departed souls. 1 Peter, and we see it again in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 20. 1 Peter 3, 18 and 20. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. So Jesus' soul went down into Hades and it says he preached to them. It says he made a, a proclamation. So he made some kind of a proclamation to these guys, all these people that are waiting in the place of the dead, okay? And I don't believe it was a three-point sermon with an altar call at the end of it, but Jesus went down there and he made some kind of a proclamation to these souls that were there waiting. And then lastly, his body, we know, was laid in the tomb. And it lay there until he was raised from the dead. John 19, verse 40 and 42. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So Jesus committed his spirit to the Father. His soul went into Hades. He made a proclamation there, and he did a few other things, which we'll cover as we go through this. And his body was laid in the tomb. But when he rose, his total personality was again united. Okay? Now, his resurrection affected the entire universe. It also, I believe, determined the destiny of souls at death. So things have changed now since Jesus. So I want to look at this question. What happens to Christians now when we die? Okay? Up until then, as I said earlier, Jewish belief was that everyone who died went to Hades, one side or the other. Okay? But now, since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, something far more glorious happens to Christians. I believe that the righteous upon death go straight to be with the Lord. Okay? Not your body, the rest of you. 
And there's two examples that show this. Number one is the stoning of Stephen. So in Acts chapter 7, verse 57 to 60. Acts 7, 57 to 60. The stoning of Stephen. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, changed his name. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So he knew his spirit would go directly to be with Jesus. And where's Jesus? Waiting in Hades or seated at the right hand of the Father? Seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not still waiting with Abraham and everybody else in Hades, okay? The second example is Philippians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. Philippians 1, 23 and 24. This is Paul talking, and he says, I am torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. So Paul is saying, I want to go. I want to leave this earth and be with Christ. But for your sake, it's better that I stay and minister for the church's sake. Okay? But there's, no, there's nothing in Paul saying, I want to go and wait in the place of the dead. Okay? His thinking is, I'm gonna, if I go, I'm with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. <clears throat> you might say, well, maybe Christ isn't there, but we know Christ is in heaven. Paul is saying he longs to go and be with Christ in heaven. Okay. All right, so that's where we are going immediately upon death. But what about those believers who died before Christ? What happened to them? So I'm, I'm going to share this. But you might say, well, it doesn't really affect me. And maybe it doesn't. And I'm going to share my opinion on this because this is a topic that is really divided. There's a lot of different ideas. But I'm going to give you what I believe just so you can have something to think about. And uh, maybe it gets the gray matter going. But it's up to you. I mean... If you disagree with this, I believe you can still die and go and be saved and be with the Lord forever, okay? But uh, I believe that when Jesus died, he went down into Hades, he made a proclamation, and he released the people, the righteous who were in Abraham's bosom side of Hades. Not the other side, the righteous side. I believe he released them. And I believe that Ephesians 4.8 shows us that this is what happened. Ephesians 4.8, that's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. So this is when Jesus ascends, we know that he gave gifts to people. He gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, okay? But the other thing he did is he led a crowd of captives. Now, in other versions, it says he led captivity captive. What does that mean? He led captivity captive. 
It's difficult to understand. I believe it means he captured and took the people who were captive in that side of Hades. They were captive. They couldn't leave until the sacrifice for sins had been made. Jesus came down. He took the keys of death and Hades and he released the people that were his. Those righteous people who believed in the Messiah, who died maybe thousands of years before Jesus came, he released those people because they're his. If Jesus has the keys now to Hades, which you read about in Revelation 1, verse 18, John sees Jesus and Jesus says to John, I am the living one, I died, and look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave, that's Hades. If he holds the keys of Hades, why would he leave his people locked in there still? Makes no sense. The devil used to have the keys. He used to have the power of death. Amen. <laughs> Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had, past tense, the power of death. He doesn't have it any longer because Jesus took the keys off of him. Okay? Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slave to the fear of dying. I believe that there also speaks about Jesus setting free those who have lived their lives already, past tense, with the fear of dying. Why? Because the devil used to have the keys. Jesus came, he made a proclamation, he took the keys, and he set all of those guys free. That's what I believe. If you don't believe that, not a problem. <laughs> okay? I won't argue with you. I'm just sharing my opinion here. Okay? Jesus loves these people. The unrighteous who are in Hades, who have been there for maybe 4,000 years plus, are still there. Okay? And they have to wait until Revelation chapter 20 when there's a final judgment and it says death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. They have to wait till then before they're released for judgment. But there's no early release for them. Okay? Anyway, let's move on. The nature of our resurrection. The nature of our resurrection. What's it going to look like? What is it actually going to look like to be resurrected, to have our bodies resurrected? Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Notice that it says, we are citizens of heaven and we are eagerly awaiting his return. See, the mark of a Christian is that you are eagerly waiting for Christ to return. Someone who isn't eagerly awaiting Christ to return 
has got a problem. <laughs> I believe I put a question mark over your salvation. Because this says they eagerly await Christ's return. There should be something in you that goes, I can't wait to see my Savior. I can't wait to see my Lord face to face. How can you be saved and love God and go, well, I don't really, I don't miss him. Gee, if, if Jen leaves the home, if she goes on a holiday for a couple of months, I am desperately miss her. It hurts me. And it's the same with Jesus. If we love him, we are eagerly awaiting his return. We can't wait for that day. And it says he will transform our lowly bodies, our weak and mortal bodies. In some versions it says the body of our humiliation. (laughs) And if you think about it, our bodies have been corrupted by sin and there's a humiliation about our bodies. Because no matter what we eat, we can eat the best food ever. The most highly nutritious food in fiber and all these proteins and whatever it is. But at the end of the day, we have to go to the toilet. Amen? doesn't matter what you eat. You cannot avoid that. You can wear the finest clothes, silk or whatever it is. But on a hot day, you're going to sweat. There's nothing you can do about it. As you get older and older, your eyesight starts deteriorating. Your ears stop hearing as well as they do. Your skin wears out. It gets wrinkled. It starts sagging. It's a body of humiliation. <laughs> Why? And, and what is it saying? Sin has corrupted what God made. Yes, I believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but sin has corrupted it, and there's a slow degradation happening. There's a degrading happening. And one day, the, the minute before we drop into the grave, it's going to be a defeat. We're not going to go into the grave in victory. It's like in weakness, your heart stops. Kunk. No more oxygen to the brain. Within three minutes, your brain cells start dying off. And there you are lying in the grave. All your organs stop functioning. Everything starts shutting down. It's, we go into the grave in humiliation. It's in defeat. But we're going to be raised in victory. Amen. <laughs> Our resurrected bodies are not going to be lowly. They're not going to be weak. They're not going to be mortal. They are going to be absolutely glorious. We are going to come up out of the grave in victory from the ashes we sung it we will rise <laughs> what's the next line I knew it. the resurrected king is resurrecting me now there was something else something about in victory I can't remember when I, when I heard it I was like I must remember that anyway we sung about it coming up out of the grave in victory that's what it's going to be like it's going to be whoa praise the Lord it's going to be us overcoming In victory. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 and 3. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 and 3. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown to us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Isn't that going to be wonderful, eh? To see Jesus as he really is. 
And look at the next verse. All who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. You see, a mark of a person who is looking forward to the resurrection is that they keep themselves pure. They're not, they're not looking for an excuse to sin. They're looking to keep themselves pure. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm reading a lot of scripture, but I, as I said in a couple of messages ago, I'd rather let the word speak to you, particularly on this topic, than me. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 35 to 38. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? So we're looking at the nature of the resurrection. What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. Okay, Paul says that, not me. Right? Don't shoot the messenger. You can take it up with Paul when you get to see him. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. What you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow. You put a seed in, you don't get a seed out. You get a plant, okay? Uh, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. So in, in one sense, there is continuity. Because if I sow a seed, an apple seed, I'm going to get an apple tree, not an orange all right? You don't sow apple seeds and get oranges. <laughs> you get apples. All right? So there's a continuity. When you sow a seed of wheat, you get that stalk of wheat that grows up that has a similar or the same DNA. There's parts about it that are the same, but there's also change that's happened. It's not a seed that comes out of the ground. It's a stalk. Okay? It's different. And so Paul is saying, we sow our bodies into the ground and what comes out has similarities, but it's also different. It's changed. Okay? And Jesus is very careful to emphasize that it's the same body that we sow that is raised. Imagine how confusing it would be if we all got different bodies. There we are in heaven. Someone comes up to me, says, Hi, Russ. I go, I'm not Russ, I'm Joel. <laughs> Joel got my body, I got his body. I mean... <laughs> Imagine the confusion in heaven. <laughs> I know he's praying for that, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> We're going to get our own bodies back, okay? <laughs> All right. Jesus emphasized this. Luke chapter 24, verse 38 and 39. Luke 24, 38 and 39. What happens? This is after Jesus' resurrection. He appears to his disciples. They're in a room, the door's locked, and they are terrified. They think a ghost has appeared. I mean, how else would a, someone just appear in a room? The doors aren't even open, okay? Jesus says, why are you frightened, he asks. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me, okay? And make sure that I'm not a ghost. He has a body that you can touch. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And also on another occasion, Thomas said, unless I put my hands in the holes in his hands and in the hole in his side, I won't believe it. And so when he appeared, he said, come Thomas, come and do that. And he did. 
He had a body that could be touched, and yet it could just suddenly appear in a room and then disappear again. Amazing, eh? But he's showing us that it's the same body that he had that was resurrected. It bore the marks of his crucifixion. You might think, well, why didn't God heal that? Why would he want to? That crucifixion is something, the sacrifice of Jesus is something that I would want to remember for all eternity. Why would you want to forget that? It's a victory. But we're going to get our bodies back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at a whole lot of verses there from verse 42. Uh, It'll get put up in the NLT, but I'm going to read it out of the ESV because the NLT, has, uh, because it's aimed at a grade 6 level of English, so sometimes it simplifies the Scriptures a little bit too much to make it easier to read, but it loses a little bit of the the, uh, impact of the other versions, okay? So there's five changes that are going to happen to our bodies when we get our resurrected bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And then verse 52 and 53, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. This is going to happen in an instant like that. I'll be standing here, there's Joel next to me, Jesus returns the trumpet and boom, I look over at Joel and it's like, whoa, what happened to you, mate? And he looks at me and he's like, wow, even better. <laughs> okay. It's going to happen in an instant. Okay. And this mortal body must put on immortality. So, so what are the five changes? We are going to go from corruptible bodies to incorruptible. Bodies that can never, ever decay. There will be no wrinkles. There will be no glasses in heaven. Your eyes are going to be like eagles, all right? Better. They won't wear out. (laughs) All righty, let's move on. (laughs) Number two, from mortal to immortal. You watched any superhero movies lately? That's nothing compared to what's going to happen to us, okay? Immortal bodies. Our bodies will no longer be subject to death. From dishonor to glory. As I said earlier, when we go down into the grave, it's going down in dishonor. Things are packing up. Everything is tick, 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 tick. And boom, ended. This failure, that failure, the next thing. But when we come up, glory, victory, shining, blazing like the sun. (laughs) What a victory, eh? What a triumph. Number four, our bodies will be sown in weakness, but they will be raised in power or in strength. And number five, our bodies will be sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. They will be spiritual. Now, I'm not entirely sure of what that means. There are a lot of different views about this. 
But when you look at what happened to Jesus, I mean, we see that he just appeared in a room. He could eat a fish, but he didn't have to, okay? Not because he was hungry. It's because he was showing, I've got a body, okay? But he can just disappear and reappear all over the place. So some commentators have said it's sown a natural and raised a supernatural body. Others have said it's sown a soulish body and raised a spiritual body. So right now your soul is what's making the decisions, the major decisions in your life. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Who are you going to choose? Your soul makes the decision. Am I going to go with the spirit or am I going to go with my flesh? Okay? But our new bodies are going to be spiritual. And I believe it could mean that our spirits are going to be the decision makers, not the soul anymore. Maybe. Who knows? All I know is that our resurrected bodies are going to be amazing. They are going to be awesome. I really hope that you're getting excited about this. But I also want to say something, is that there are, there are a lot of Christians who worry about the... They, they make it an important thing. Should I be buried or could I be cremated? Okay? Now for me, it's up to you. I, I have a problem saying Christians have to be buried because when Christ raises your body, if it's been burnt to ashes, it's going to be a problem for God. It says when Jesus returns, he is going to use the same power that he controls the entire universe to raise all these millions of bodies. And so whether it's ashes or whether it's bones, because, I mean, it doesn't take long for your body to decompose to the level of just bones. You're not going to have any organs, no flesh, no muscles, no sinews, no brain, no nerves, no nothing. It'll just be bones, okay? If he can make a body, your body, back after bones, he can do it with ashes. Otherwise, woe betide any Christian that dies in a fire. Your house burns down and you're dead? What then? Oh, I'm supposed to be buried. <laughs> what about, you know, there I was swimming at sea, a shark came and took my leg. Now I'm an amputee. When I get raised, Jesus raises me, but where's the rest of my leg? It's in the sea somewhere. Has to send an angel. Go fetch that guy's leg so I can join it on. People get silly about all this stuff. God is so powerful, He can make your, if He can make your body out of dust, He can do it again. That's what He made Adam from, dust. So it's, it's a false teaching to go, Christians have to be buried. It's nonsense. I'm happy to be cremated. It's cheaper and I don't leave a burden for my family. I don't want to leave them with a bill of thousands and thousands. If I, it's just my body. It's going to be raised by Jesus. I'm going to be long gone. I'm going to be with the Lord. If I can save some money for my family, hey, I want to bless them. I don't want to go, no, 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 no. I need you to pay the money. Get me buried. It's not important. If you want to be buried, go for it. If you want to be cremated, go for it. If you get eaten by a shark, go for it. Okay? I mean, if you get eaten by 10 sharks, then you're all over the joint. doesn't matter. God has the power to raise your body, okay? 
Anyway, let me wrap up. Tonight, I'm going to look at why the resurrection of Jesus is an absolutely key doctrine for us. It's incredibly important that we understand the resurrection of Jesus and that we believe it actually happened. Because there's Christians out there who go, we don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. That for me is a huge problem. Everything we do, you think of how much we do in the name of Jesus. Now, if Jesus is still dead and buried in that tomb, then nothing, we can't do anything in the name of Jesus. Because it's only because he's been exalted. We pray in the name of Jesus. We heal the sick in the name of Jesus. We preach the gospel in the name of Jesus. We cast out demons in the name of Jesus. There's nothing we can do without being in the name of Jesus. The resurrection is absolutely crucial. You might say, well, the greatest truth you know is that God loves you. If you ask me, the greatest truth I know is Jesus was raised from the dead. It truly is. And tonight I'm going to show you why. Let's just stand and we're going to end in prayer.